It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked on Bills. You are Locked on Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. And as a reminder to you, we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today's episode of Locked On Bills is presented by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. You pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to ten times your money on your entry. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepicks.com, promo code LOCKEDON. Well, folks, we're back to herd mentality this week, and we've got some great questions lined up. Uh, a lot of the big thoughts, I think, on everyone's minds as it relates to the Bills. Coming out of the Patriots game and into the postseason, and we're going to dig into them right now. The first one comes uh, from at Buffalo Bills 271 and this is what they say. I certainly acknowledge my bias here, but shouldn't Sean McDermott be the favorite for coach of the year? Think about everything this team has had to overcome. The overwhelming Kansas City playoff loss and dealing with an offseason full of scrutiny from many, helping the Buffalo community after the devastating top shooting, living up to massive offseason expectations, Trey White missing more than half of the regular season due to injury recovery, Josh Allen's injury, two large snowstorms, one of them causing the game to be moved to Detroit, the other causing many deaths throughout Western New York, a team not being able to travel back to Western New York for Christmas, Von Miller's injury, the ongoing DeMar Hamlin situation, and I'll add to it uh, myself, uh, Kim Pagula's health and whatever's going on there, Micah Hyde's injury, Dane Jackson leaving a game in an ambulance and the unexpected passing of Dawson Knox's brother at bills or at Buffalo bills. 271 continues to say coach being able to deal with these situations and still have them positioned with one of the best records in the NFL is nothing short of amazing. It is expected that teams will have to overcome adversity, but a list of this magnitude is unprecedented. I understand there are bigger things going on right now, but this is something I felt should at least be mentioned. I'm with you on this. I think Sean McDermott, as the head coach of this football team, has led the Bills through more than any other coach in the NFL and still managed to meet lofty expectations. 13-3 and three with all of that. Just an outstanding job of leadership and coaching by Sean McDermott this year. And at the beginning of the season, we talked about each award and the likelihood of a Bills player or coach being in line to receive it. And I said, the biggest challenge for Sean McDermott getting coach of the year is everybody expect this, expects the Bills to be good. And so if Sean McDermott goes out there and the Bills win the AFC East and they're a top seed in the AFC playoffs, everyone expected them to do that. And usually the voting goes or, or skewed towards the coaches that seem to do more than what's expected. Well, I think you should consider everything that, that Sean McDermott has led the Buffalo Bills through this year 
and that for them to still meet the high expectations despite everything that they faced, I don't know. I don't, if Sean McDermott's not your pick for coach of the year, I don't know what to tell you because he's my pick. Ben says, is Gabe Davis playing his way out of a second contract for the Bills? I know he is still a young player, but for a guy who they expected to step into the number two receiver role, he has not lived up to expectations. I personally don't think he is good enough to be wide receiver two on a Super Bowl team, especially not at a contract level most wide wide receiver twos are at. What are your thoughts? I'm with you. Gabriel Davis has not satisfied what I hope to see in a wide receiver too. And I tweeted out on Monday morning some of the numbers for Gabe Davis this year. I want to review them quickly here on the podcast. When Josh Allen targeted Gabriel Davis this year, and these numbers come courtesy of Pro Football Focus, Josh Allen completed 48 of 93 catchable targets which is a reception percentage of 51.6%, which is terrible. Seven touchdowns, six interceptions, and a passer rating of 80.7. So what did Josh Allen throw? 14 interceptions, six of them when targeting Gabe Davis. Josh Allen's passer rating was like in the upper 90s, I think like 96 or 97 this year. When targeting Gabe Davis is an 80.7. Gabe has brought down Josh in a lot of ways. Here's some other numbers that really stand out to me. His yards after catch per reception is 2.9. 2.9. And remember the Pittsburgh game? I mean, I think Gabe had something like 141 yards after the catch all season. And 68 of those yards came in one game against Pittsburgh. The guy just offers nothing after the catch. His drop rate is unacceptable, 12.7%. That's got to come down at least around 8%. His contested catch rate. He was 8 of 23. That's a contested catch rate of 34.8. He didn't play well this year. He didn't meet those expectations. And maybe those expectations were always a bit unfair. You know, it's it's one thing that I think we we catch ourselves doing as football fans, as analysts, as media is assuming that with more opportunity that the production that the player received in a smaller sample size will just expand across a larger sample size. That's not how it works. Gabe Davis, as the number two receiver for this offense, it's a different ball game. It's a different level of preparation that the other team has, a different level of understanding. You're getting different looks. You're being played differently. And Gabe Davis isn't a do-everything player that can really step in and run every route and win after the catch and be consistent down the field. He's more of a guy that thrives as the wide receiver three or four or in the passing game in general, the fourth or fifth option, not the number two option. And I know a lot of people want to bring up the ankle, right? He kind of had an early season ankle injury that a lot of people thought impacted him throughout the course of the season. Let me tell you something that I learned this summer. And I learned this from Teron Armstead, the left tackle for the Miami Dolphins, whose career has been plagued with injuries, right? One of the best offensive linemen in the game, but to be honest, has just always battled injuries every single year. And Teron Armstead at the Offensive Line Mastermind Summit with 
hundreds of NFL offensive linemen there and a lot of the best young players in the league. Tyler Smith from the Cowboys and Iki Iquanu from the Panthers. Just ton, tons of these big-time young offensive linemen and a lot of veterans and Hall of Famers, right? There are 300-plus linemen are there. Teron Armstead led an entire discussion on being a pro and what it means to be a pro. And he got into a lot of different things, but one thing that he mentioned was, if you can play, you can play. The film is the film. He actually said, and this is a quote from Teron Armstead at that summit. He said, when the Miami Dolphins play the Buffalo Bills, and let's say that I have a foot injury and I play, when you pull up the tape, it doesn't say Miami Dolphins against Buffalo Bills, uh, Teron Armstead played through a toe injury. No, the film is the film. If you can play, you can play. And so while I am mindful of the ankle, this level of production is not acceptable to me. If the Bills are going to be a high-octane passing offense, they need a better wide receiver, too, that can offer more in terms of skill set. And maybe I'll eat my words and Gabe Davis will come back next year and be everything we dreamed of him being. But if you remember all of our conversations throughout the course of the offseason, it came with a level of hesitancy for me to really buy into him being able to be everything the Bills need as the wide receiver, too. Let's hope he turns it on for the playoffs, but it's been a while since I've been really satisfied with Gabe Davis and how he plays and how he impacts football games. The next one comes from Justin. Justin says, now I don't pay significant attention to national media, and I'm happy about our team being 13-3 and AFC East champs. This is a great time to be a Bills fan. My thoughts are next week's Miami's uh, team, but uh, Dan Orlovsky on Get Up made an interesting point. Take Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow out of the picture and focus on the remaining roster. Got to admit, it gave me a, a, a crud feeling. Cincy, I believe, really has the roster to beat. The injuries are so hard to overcome. Now anything can happen. It's the NFL. But what concerns do you have with the Bills for this year's playoff push? So I want to share my thoughts on what my concerns are for the Bills as they enter the postseason. But, you know, I think, I think since he has injuries too, you know, Lyle Collins are right tackles injured. Alex Kappa, their right guard, is injured. You know, Hubbard and Hendrickson are playing injured. They don't have Chidobia Wouzier at, at corner, their number one corner. You know, so it's not all, it's not all right there for, for Cincy either. And I think from a depth perspective, they've got questions as well. I don't know that Kansas City has great defensive personnel. I don't think they have great wide receivers or running backs either. You know, I, so I don't know that. I don't know that I look at the Bengals and Chiefs and say, yeah, their roster's better than the Bills. I, I don't know that I agree with there. Um, so it's just something to, to be mindful of there. I think as I consider my concerns for the Bills in this postseason, I've got two. Number one is, does this passing game have enough rhythm right now? I know that it looked really good against Miami. It looked really good at times against the Patriots. But I think for the most part, the Patriots game and the Bears game were two instances of the last three games where I don't feel like I don't feel like this passing game had great rhythm. I don't feel like it was very on schedule with good consistency, with uh, good calls and reads, with the level of consistency that I think you need to win deep into the postseason. Now, Josh Allen can obviously put it on his back and, and be that dude and um, overcome, but right now I wish that the passing game had more rhythm. And number two is, can the defense play tighter? 
I thought the defense was vulnerable against Miami. I thought they were vulnerable against the Patriots. Obviously, they played great against the Bears, but Bears have one of the worst collections of offensive talents in, in the league. But the play-action game frustrated the Bills against New England, led to a lot of easy completions. And I don't think they played well against Miami. I, th- I think they had good moments. You know, they, they certainly had good moments, but these games get a lot tougher here and everything's on the line. Can the Bills play tighter on defense? That's a big question that I have at this point. I hope you've been getting in on the action over at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is my favorite daily fantasy resource. How does it work? You pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available, and prize picks has all the sports that you can watch, everything from the NFL to NBA, NHL, cricket, Euro basketball, you name it, you can find it over at prize picks, and entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. So download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. So if you deposit $100, prize picks will give you $100. You deposit $50, prize picks will give you $50. Just don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match worth up to $100. Today's episode is brought to you by TurboTax. Go to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Meet with an expert who will do them for you. TurboTax experts can relieve you from the stress of taxes and file for you so you can do not taxes. Show your eyes things that are not taxes. Unpack a moving box of not taxes. Taste, not taxes. Sing, not taxes. A lullaby, hope, not taxes. Sleeps through the night. Grab a saddle and ride, not taxes, into the sunset. With the TurboTax 100% expert guarantee, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish so you can relax. Feels good to be done with your taxes, doesn't it? Come to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Intuit, Turbo, TurboTax, full-service products only, video meeting while expert does your taxes required. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. The next one today comes from Carmine, who says, now that we're playing the Dolphins, I'd like to know how their defense has played since our last meeting. Have they shown any particular looks or packages in the last few weeks that McDermott and Dorsey will be concerned about or feel like they can exploit? Also, who is your early shout for defensive player of the year, both for the Bills and the league? Here's the thing about Josh Boyer, the defensive coordinator for the Miami Dolphins, and what this defense has been all year and really over the last couple of years. They're pretty consistently the same thing. You're going to see. A lot of blitzing, and you're going to see man coverage. You're going to see a lot of different mugged up looks and you know just kind of muddy fronts. Some guys are going to come, some guys are going to leave, and a lot of man coverage on the back end. And I think that's a a decent scheme if you have Xavier Howard and Byron Jones and Brandon Jones and Nick Needham, but they're missing a lot of those guys. They don't necessarily have the same personnel that they're used to having on that in that secondary to be able to run that scheme. And so they're playing a lot of games up front and playing man coverage in the back. I think they're pretty predictable predictable on defense, and they don't necessarily have the guys to run what they want to run, and I think that's gotten them in some bad situations this year. So I think the Dolphins' defense kind of is what the Dolphins' defense has always been. As far as my NFL Defensive Player of the Year pick and my Bills Defensive Player of the Year pick, 
For the NFL, I'll go with Nick Bosa with the San Francisco 49ers. For the Bills, and this was hard because I think you can make a case for a lot of guys, I'm settling on Tremaine Edmonds. I think Tremaine has just been very consistent this year, both in coverage and as a tackler playing downhill. And while maybe Matt Milano has more splashy moments, I think the consistency has been there, especially as a tackler from Tremaine. Perhaps you have a case for Greg Rousseau. Jordan Poyer certainly has a, has a claim to this. If Von Miller plays the entire season, you feel like he has a chance. Uh, but I just went with the guy that I thought was the most consistent in every area, and that's Tremaine Edmonds. Chris says, have you noticed Jordan Phillips seems to be playing hurt? I know he's been on the injury report, but it seems like for the past few weeks, when he doesn't look right, excuse me, I, it seems like for the last few weeks, he doesn't look right on the playing field. I know a lot of guys are playing through something at this point in the season, but I'm wondering why the Bills are playing him when maybe they could be resting him for the playoffs. I like your take on this, and I'm interested in knowing if you are seeing the same things I'm seeing when watching Jordan play. Yeah, I think Jordan Phillips, since kind of coming back from the shoulder injury, has not been nearly as effective as he was at, at times earlier in the year. And I think his his snap percentage really says a lot. Uh, before the shoulder injury, he was playing on the low end about 40% of the snaps, up to 55% of the snaps. In the two games since the shoulder injury, he's played 24% and 28% of the snaps. I mean, I think Daquan Jones played over 68% of the snaps last week. So um, it's definitely definitely bothering him. It it is. So, you know, maybe there's a case to be made that they could have rested him over the last couple of weeks. I think the Bills also needed him, right? There was games they had to win uh, to maintain, you know, at, at one point the number one seed and then, you want it to be the two over the three. So I think you, you kind of needed him. Um, but yeah, his effectiveness isn't isn't where you want it to be. And he's a guy that the Bills are going to need in the playoffs, right? I think uh, Greg Rousseau, Ed Oliver are the two guys that really need to make an impact. But there needs to be more. There needs to be Jordan Phillips. Daquan's got to show up. A.J. Epinesa, right? Shaq Lawson. It's going to take an all of the abru- above effort here to um, make us forget that Von Miller's not around for when you really wanted him right now, which is in the playoffs. And he says, first, I'm so glad to see Hamlin tweeting through the whole game. Made me feel great that he's doing great. One thing I felt throughout the entire game was that outside of a few plays, Matt could sit in the pocket without any pressure for quite a while. On the other hand, it felt like Josh had to run for his life on every single play. I know the Patriots have a decent D, but I think we'll get a much more stout pass rush in the playoffs. Also, the interior O-line isn't anything to write home about. Our defensive tackles seem to be missing in action. I was wondering if you felt the same or if you had any stats or pressures that confirm or deny how I felt. Super grateful for Hamlin and this team and another year of home playoff games and no chance of our season ending in Kansas City, but wish I felt better about this offensive line. So let me give you some of the numbers from the Patriots game. Josh Allen was pressured on 16 of 36 dropbacks. That's 44%. That's a good, that's a high amount. Now keep in mind that the Patriots are from a pass rush perspective, they've been one of the best in the league all season long. Tons of sacks, tons of pressures, tons of consistency. They've been very good all season long. So the Bills just played one of the best pass rushes in the league. Um, Mac Jones, on the other hand, was only pressured on 10 of 40 dropbacks, 25%. And um, you'd like to see that a little bit higher against Mac. So I think that you're exactly right in that Mac Jones didn't face enough pressure and Josh faced a good amount of pressure. But I'd like to introduce two other numbers, and that's time to throw. In this game, Josh Allen 
averaged 3.49 seconds snap to release. That's the highest of the season for him. His season average was 2.88. Josh was holding on to the ball. And when you hold on to the ball for that long, it's going to invite some pressure. And so I think a lot of the pressure that he's faced was, you know, guys up front took an L, right? They got beat on a play. But I think Josh holding on to the football certainly contributed to the amount of pressure that he faced. Now, Mac Jones, he released the football in an average of 2.67 seconds, which is right in line with his season average, right? So I think that's something to be mindful of when you consider both quarterbacks in that Josh held on to the ball for a significantly for a significant amount of time, the longest he's ever held on to the ball all season, while Mac just kind of played his normal game. And I think both of those things contribute to the amount of pressure that they face. But I do think my biggest takeaway in this entire talking point is that the Bills pass rush has to be better against Tua and, and the quarterbacks that they're going to face throughout the playoffs. And, and look, is it going to be Tua? I don't know. Whoever the Miami Dolphins quarterback is going to be on Sunday afternoon. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from pro football to college basketball to boxing, the NHL, and the NBA. They've got it all over at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those as well over at BetOnline. They're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, so head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. It's BetOnline, and it's where the game starts. The next one today comes from Christopher, who says, what is your take on how we overcome the sluggish first halves? It's pretty glaring that the offense takes a long time to get going lately. We used to march straight down the field in our first drive of the game. Now, it feels as though we go three and out, and it's acceptable. How do we get back to setting the stage for domination early on? It's a fair question, Christopher. And I'll tell you what, I feel like I've just become conditioned to accept this, right? Offense starts slow, and you feel like, you know, like just going to get better throughout the game. They're going to be okay. And then the defense always gives up those early drives, and, and I'm like, okay, well, they always tighten the screws and figure it out, right? That's, I've kind of come conditioned to watching Bills games looking like that recently. Now, fortunately, they're, you know, they're winning a lot of games, seven in a row. They were 13 and three, right, for the season. They lost three games by a combined eight points all year. So they've, they've done well to kind of figure this out. But what it comes down to for me, at least on the offensive side of the football, is that the Bills, or Ken Dorsey, has to be able to develop a better opening script. Right? So I don't know if you're familiar with that, right? Your scripted plays. Usually teams will enter a game with a script of 10 or 20 plays that they know that they want to run right out the bat. And then from there, they... They, they evaluate how the defense played them in those looks that they gave them and, and adjust and play the game the rest of the way, where Brian Dable was so good was that opening script, right? You come out, you knew you're going to go down the field, you're going to score that touchdown. But maybe the adjustments didn't come as well, right? With Ken Dorsey, the opening script's not very good, but then the adjustments are very good, right? So that's kind of the the contrasting results that I think we've seen between Ken Dorsey and Brian Dable, two very statistically similar offenses, but how they get there is a little different. So I think where the Bills can find more success with offense early and even defense early to an extent is developing that opening script to allow you to score early and then still maintain that high level of ability to adjust as the game goes on. The next one today comes from Andrew, who says, 
What do you make of the defensive back slash linebacker coverage technique where the defender doesn't turn around when the ball is in the air? Is this taught by the coaching staff or are they slightly out of position? I feel like there are interceptions sitting there for us, but we don't capitalize. Now, I feel like I should know the answer to this, and but I don't, in that I don't know what exactly the Bills' defense teaches. But there's a big school of thought out there amongst defensive backs coaches where they teach players in coverage to play the hands of the receiver and not the ball in the air, right? Because when you're trying to get your head around and locate the football, not only is that hard to do for a lot of players, but it's even harder to do that while staying connected and in phase with the receiver. So what coaches are teaching players is that don't worry about turning around and trying to find the football and potentially losing your man in coverage. Just when they show their hands, you want to play through them and disrupt at the catch point so that way you're not putting yourself in a vulnerable position where you look, look for the football and can't find it, and then you also lose track of your guy. So that is very much a coaching technique to play through the hands of the receiver and not the ball. The special players are the ones that can remain in phase, locate the football, and make a play on it when it's in the air. It's a very, very rare skill. And so I think the way a lot of coaches overcome this for their players is by simply teaching them to to play through the hands. The next one comes from DK, and DK doesn't really have much of a question. He just has a statement. I thought it was a really good way for us to end. DK says, you've spoken at length about this team's resiliency, and we've seen it in spades through the tragic event at Tops to helping Knox cope with the loss of his brother, storms forcing us to play home, games on the road, a Christmas blizzard that ravaged the area to the, the Hamlin incident, and more in between. I think Sunday was truly the manifestation of that resiliency. Special teams has the play of the day, opening touchdown return on such an emotional day. And then later on, another return for a touchdown. Special teams also had a terrible play on the Taiwan Jones poison pill turnover. Defense couldn't seem to stop the Pats all day, kept letting them in the game, but made three huge plays, White, Edmonds, and Milano interceptions. Offense was far from perfect. Davis Davis drops, Allen interception to end the half, Singletary fumble but two huge touchdowns when needed and the run game cook specifically were a solid compliment. So new England couldn't focus entirely on the pass game. McDermott also discusses complimentary football. And while not a perfect game like the playoffs last year against new England, I believe this was a true team win. DK, I think that's a really good way to put it. I think that you can look at this game in so many different ways and realize that there is resiliency from every single unit through ups and downs, really, really high highs, really, really low lows, but the highs outweighed the lows and it all contributed to a 35 to 23 win. And now this team has to go to the playoffs and see what their formula is going to be, see what their script's going to be. Does Josh Allen turn it on like we saw him do last year? Because I'll be honest, I'm not sure Josh played great at the end of last year. Remember that Falcons game, the Panthers game. I don't think he was awesome in. Can he turn it on like he did last year? The run game kind of creeped up. Remember, Devin Singletary was hot at the end of the year. Defensively, kind of some similar questions, right? Do they have the guys to be able to win at in the defensive backfield against good passing offenses, right? 
We're going to find out. We're going to find out. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to going through the journey of the playoffs once again with everyone here on this podcast. So tomorrow, we turn our full attention to the Miami Dolphins. We'll do our primer, break them down, and I'll plot the path for the Bills to get a win. Then Thursday, crossover Thursday, we'll chat with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins, and then we'll do our Friday podcast, the Bills Play Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern time. All right, folks, as always, I kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.